0: Muffy in the bathroom stall, Clara on the fence, constant constant time she will satisfy your needs, winter, <laughs> spring, or oh, fall. Oh. And then they're like, <laughs> so fucking creepy. Why so, okay. people are creepy as fuck.
1: I'm Amy Rivers, and this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend, Sasha Chambers, reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths.
0: It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up fed us, nourished our bodies and minds, or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries.
1: Sasha and I don't have any real cred as critics, but we do have a genuine love for movies as well as a beautiful friendship
0: that spans
1: 25
0: years. And in all these 25 years, I don't think we have had as spirited a debate as we are about to have over trading places, faux real trading places, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and this movie's real fucked up. I
1: watch this movie every Christmas, so as much as I did watch it as a child, and it was part of my 80s childhood, I pretty much watch this every single year for Christmas. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm kind of crazy about Christmas and Christmas movies, like I do the whole thing where... I watch all the movies. This is always on the playlist.
0: Oh wow, see, I, I don't know when the last time is that I've seen this movie. I know I've seen it like a gajillion times growing up. I'm sure if it was on HBO or whatever station it was playing on as a kid, I watched it, didn't matter what time of year it was because it's Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and that was like something I was super down for. But I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw it and I definitely wouldn't think like, it's Christmas, throw on Trading Places.
1: Well, it's one of those weird ones. It's like Die Hard is also a Christmas movie. And right. And what's the other one? Batman Returns is a Christmas Word. movie. Word, yeah. All you need for me for it to be a Christmas movie is, is like a Christmas tree. Like like uh, what's the yeah.
0: movie you watched before? Princess oh, Bride. Yeah, Princess Bride. You just need to put like a, a Raggedy Santa something in the background. And you're like, oh, it's Christmas time.
1: But yeah, yeah. I mean, Ooh. half of me almost will watch yeah. The Godfather just because they've got the scene that happens at Christmas. Hilarious.
0: I did think it was really funny that when we get to um, Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment that she, first of all, that she's supposed to be 24 years old is fucking hilarious in and of itself, but that she, as a 24-year-old prostitute, has one of those weird grade school cutout Santas on the door (laughs) inside her apartment just to drive home, that it's Christmas time. is pretty (laughs) hilarious.
1: So what's the details? It's John Landis. John Landis, yet again, 1983. We've got Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd playing our lead guys who trade places. Don Amici and who's the other guy? Bellamy. What's his first name? Ralph Bellamy. Robert Bellamy.
0: (laughs) Bill Um, Bellamy.
1: Bill Bellamy. (laughs) (laughs) You might say... His last name is... In, in fact, when I looked up Trading Places today on IMDb, like the pictures of Don Amici and this dude are like pictures from the 19... 19- yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Ralph Bellamy, yeah. Ralph Bellamy, okay. Yeah. They were like in tons of movies in the 30s oh, and yeah. 40s and 50s. Oh, yeah. Well, I knew Don Amici had a career, but I, didn't, I wasn't aware of Ralph Bellamy's. But yeah, he's, he's old school. They're super old school. And I read that neither of them knew who dan akroyd or eddie murphy were that's and then
0: hysterical
1: flip side eddie murphy and dan akroyd had no idea who they were
0: <laughs> hysterical hysterical and then of course we've also got um, we've got paul Gleason who plays uh clarence beaks also known as the principal from the breakfast club yeah. um, like and i feel like is that guy like really like an evil motherfucker in real life because he basically says almost the exact that same shit in this movie as he does in The Breakfast Club. He's like, I'll pull out your eyes and piss on your skull. I'm like, Bro, are you just ad living? Is this you? Like, why are you always written this way? Can I tell you? you,
1: my favorite shit, though, is when he's, like, walking and he knocks into someone and they're like, excuse me, and he just pushes them down. He's such a prick. It's so weird. Yeah, no, I,
0: I made a note about that part, too. I'm like, why did you have, why are you so oh, violent, Paul Gleason? Lord Jesus.
1: Because it's just the comedy. Like, they, the thing about him is he is just evil.
0: I have no memory of Al Franken in this movie but apparently he is, and he, gets, and he gets a big old screen credit as well, um, and I looked for him and didn't, didn't notice him. Uh, and Jim Belushi has a really funny little cameo as a guy in a gorilla suit towards the end of the film as well. Um, you missed and, Jamie um, Lee Curtis, of course. Jimmy Lee Curtis, and, and it's Bo Diddley that pays the pawnbroker.
1: And then you, you missed, um, um, how do I say his first name? Denholm, Denholm
0: Elliott. Oh, Denholm Elliott, who I love, Denholm. and of course, Frank Oz. Yeah. Frank Oz is in this as well, it's is fucking <laughs> cool. From the beginning all the way through, it's, it's very clearly John Landis. Tons of small moments, tons of time spent on things that you normally wouldn't spend time on, that you're just kind of like marinating in Coleman, the butler, pulling croissant out of the oven and setting up the tray, how he lines up the salt and peppers and clips the rose and puts it in the vase, like all the tiny, little details, the same way that you would see in Clue and the same way you saw... In, um, in Coming to America, which is interesting. I'm, I'm starting to think that John Landis just has like a, a penchant and a kink for anything where there is a nice old house and a butler. <laughs> That's his jam.
1: Okay, well, let's let's start with the big question, okay? So the big yeah. question is, is this film a very intelligent social commentary on the disparity of wealth in America and the nature of greed, or is it a totally offensive, off-tone comedy from the 80s. So for
0: me, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And it couldn't possibly not be a little bit of column B because of the time that it was made.
1: I'd say a lot of column A for me with dips into column B here and there. When I watched the film now, it came up with that not to be watched by anyone under fifteen, rated fifteen or something. Oh, okay. And the first thing it said was blackface. Then it said nudity and uh-huh. and foul language and all those things. But the first thing it said was blackface. That was mm-hmm. the first warning. And that's, and that's exactly
0: what I'm. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the filter of 2020 looking at 1983. Yeah. Even because even, there's yeah, because yeah. there's no way when they put that in the film that they thought that Dan Aykroyd playing a Jamaican in blackface was as offensive as it is yeah. to the point that it would require a trigger warning.
1: I remembered the scene of course because literally like I've said I've watched this every year. And I was like, yeah, but you know it's it and I was kind of starting to make excuses for it because I love the film and I and you know it blackface is a real interesting thing. It's like when is it okay? When is it not okay? Is it never okay? It's never okay. You know, like what what's the yeah. line on it? And <laughs> no, no, but because I was trying like we were kind of I was with my mama, watching it with my mama, we we're discussing it. And I was like, Well, is there is there something that there's a nuance that makes it all right and stuff? So we had this whole long conversation. Point being, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Yeah, that conversation's gone. <laughs> exactly. no,
0: It was like,
1: because I'd always remembered it like fondly because it is a funny scene. It's just when you kind of watch it and you just think about it, it's like, yeah, but they, why? Yeah,
0: Yeah. but they, why? You know That's the thing. It's like in trying to make this very ahead of its time in truth, ahead of its time, super self-aware commentary on class and race in America, because they were going for that, And it was well intended, it almost seems like, oh, well then anything is fair game then. We can throw this all in here. And it just pushed the envelope a little too far for me in a lot of ways today. For example, in addition to the blackface, when they try to lure uh, Billy Valentine into the car, after they've bailed him out. And yes, and Mortimer is holding up a whiskey bottle and he's going, whiskey all you could want, that, shoes. Shoes were thrown. That was too I, far. That, that, was, yeah, uh,
1: Yeah, it, it was a little. Yeah, exactly, that that's what little, I was, yeah. I mean, I, I understood the grossness of it, but it is a little birth of
0: the nation, I suppose. That's, oh my God, and there you go, there you go. So for me, I was just about to see, and, and there was a real birth of a nation. <laughs> 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 birth of a nation moment for me. So, okay, so I'm going to just do like a real quick Reader's Digest premise of the film for anyone who could possibly be watching this but has never seen Trading Places. So, here's the idea. Eddie Murphy is a ostensibly homeless con man out on the streets pretending to be a legless beggar um, trying to collect monies from people. Um, He is found out, finds himself walking down the street, and as fate would have it, finds himself in front of a stockbroker's stock office known as Duke and Duke, which is run by Randolph and Mortimer, Mortimer Duke. He has an unfortunate encounter with Lewis Winthrop III, which then leads to him being arrested, which then leads to him being bailed out by Randolph and Mortimer who have a twisted, nasty preamble to get out plan that they are going to test the racehorse theory. And this is where this is where the difference between 1983 and 2020 comes up, because using the racehorse theory as a premise for comedy would never, ever fly today. So they decide to test the racehorse theory by upending both of these two people's lives, both Lewis Winthrop III and Billy Ray Valentine, by trading their places in life and taking a street Beggar black man and putting him in the position of a six figure a year earning white stockbroker, and hilarity ensues. So, the birth of a nation moment is for me when, and this is what I'm talking about the disparity between 1983 and 2020. Eddie Murphy, Billy Ray Valentine, is found out by the police that he is not in fact legless. This is after he commits a gross act of sexual harassment against a woman in a park, grabs her by the skirt, says all kinds of nasty shit to her. She's for some reason a mute, can't speak up for herself while the cops are watching and say nothing. Problematic. Just the first problematic tick for me there. Okay, so anyway, it is exposed that he is not legless. He, in his very funny Eddie Murphy way, walks away from the situation, finds himself in front of um, Duke and Duke and bumps into Louis Winthrop III on his way out of the building. He bumps into Louis Winthrop III who falls to the street like a point guard in basketball. Like literally, like he taps him and fucking Dan Aykroyd throws himself on the ground. His briefcase goes out of his hands and Eddie Murphy goes to hand it back to him. Cheerfully, gleefully, oh, here man, here's your bag back. At this point, Dan Aykroyd, turns into a fragile white woman. Help, help, help! This black man is trying to offend me. He's trying to touch me and take my bag. And the police descend and the black doorman basically turns into an African slave catcher and starts blowing his whistle and immediately takes the side of Dan Aykroyd when he can see clearly what has happened. And Eddie Murphy grabs the bag because he's scared of the police and runs into the building. He runs into the building where there are other people in the hopes of safety. And this is where it becomes some kind of birth of a nation, the slapstick musical, where it's meant to be funny that Eddie Murphy has run into this building and runs into the boardroom and runs into the the, the congregation room of all of these white men searching for help. And there's no less than 30 white men entertained and when he is pulled, this singular black man is pulled from underneath the table and has seven guns drawn in his face. Like while no 17. one says a, f- 17 guns drawn in his face and no one says a word. And when he speaks up and says, is there a lawyer in the house? And they just shrug and look the other way. That's a little too close to the bone.
1: Completely fair, completely fair. But I think that's the point of the whole scene because I mean, I immediately saw it and was like, wow, it's funny, Be sure. Yeah, but, you know, because it is funny. Like when Eddie Murphy starts walking and he's just, I, I can see, I-, I have legs, I can oh, see. Oh, you know oh, that's funny, hilarious, yeah. right? Like it is funny, and his whole his whole rant about the Green Berets in in Vietnam, like, like comic genius and stuff. Though uh, the him him calling the woman a bitch when she doesn't. Mm-hmm. He does that a couple times. He calls a lot of people bitches. Stop calling people bitches, uh, Eddie Murphy. Fair number of F-bombs dropped in this too. Yes, yes. Fair number of that as well. I watch it and I did feel the exact same thing, Sasha. I totally did. I was like, oops, like this does not feel well. And I think the thing, the difference is it's a comedy. It's funny.
0: If this was a drama, he would have been shot. And but that's what I'm that's saying about looking at it scary. through the eyes of someone yeah. living in 20 as a black person living in America in 2020. I can't see the comedy in that anymore. Yeah, it's well, that's the fair.
1: Enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. It's the Dave Chappelle comment. The only way mm-hmm. you can tell the truth is if it's a joke, and unfortunately, that's the scenario of this scene. When I immediately thought about that woman in Central Park who called the police Ooh, on the bird yeah, watcher like exactly. that's exactly where my brain went for this scene i think that that's the point they're making that, absolutely absolutely This so know like, it's, that, it's
0: completely self-aware it is but, self-aware. I, but, I, but i have this feeling i just have this feeling because it was a comedy and like you said you can't tell the truth of something like that of, of racial america without there being a punchline at the end of it i just have this feeling because I can see how today people watching that would have would have to take a minute to realize how fucked up some of this shit was. Yeah. I feel like like I was saying, like similar to the um, Bruno character by Sasha Baron Cohen in, in Borat, that that was such a high level of self-awareness, uh, self-aware comedy of, sort of satirical self-aware comedy, that it probably went over a lot of people's heads in 1983. Because if people could actually have that land in 1983 and we've ended up in 2020 where we are, that makes me feel worse about it all.
1: <laughs> I, the unfortunate, because I think that a lot of people got it, just not the people who, you know, should have gotten it. Because I'd like we mentioned this before, I actually do think this is one of the movies that shaped my understanding of how fucked up the situation in America is. Like, you know I mean? I would attribute. Yeah this film to be one of the ones that shaped this idea that there is a disparity between uh, rich and poor. That's really unjust because that's the thing. The movie is a, like, even though this terrible um, scientific experiment that these guys run, like, you know that what they're doing is terrible. Like when you watch this film, it is like, it is pointing a, a, a spotlight on the fact that rich, white, greedy America is fucking with people exactly. in unjust ways. like you Exactly. That's yes.
0: the thing. And it's not, it's not even just the disparity of wealth. It's the fucking games they play. Because if you yes. look at what's happening in yes. Congress in the United States yes. right now, this is a bunch of rich, white, old men that are fucking with the lives of millions of people for their own pockets. And it's Absolutely. humorous and entertaining to them because it doesn't affect them. Right? It's... Yes really gross and i think that really more than anything it just hit so many deep nerves in me that's why i was so upset watching it it was like oh nothing has changed this is yeah. the same exact okay. fucking bullshit just a different decade that's well, all it is
1: so i don't think we're going to have a passionate debate because i appreciate that i guess the thing is is that i still enjoy the film for the comedy aspect and if we could turn towards that for just a second because we're going to mm-hmm. have to balance it out because i have mm-hmm. a feeling because of certain things that happen in this film, we will be revisiting where it touches too close to the bone again. So my question to you, Sasha, is like, why did like Coleman does a lot, right? Like he is the butler, he cooks all the food, he shaves the motherfucker,
0: like he's his her. He yeah. doesn't have any time for himself. At certain points, I wondered if they had some shit on Coleman. <laughs> because <laughs> Coleman looks a little Stockholm syndromey at certain points, where it's like, "Why even?" I mean, I understand you're employed by these dudes, but like, when Dan Aykroyd shows up at the door and he's like, "There's no Coleman here," I'm like, "Dude, you are deeply invested in this whole fucking stunt. Like, why are you so down? Why are you so down with this?" Because it clearly is disturbing to him. It's like, I, I it
1: is, but but Homeboy was a dick face. That's true. Like that's true. an actual <laughs> prick. Actual prick. Oh, and, and which, which reminds me, like, why I kind of appreciate this film a lot more than I appreciated um, playing trains and automobiles is because Winthorpe does, like, go through a change. Like, he does recognize, mm-hmm. like, how he has been a terrible fucking human being. Do you think he does? I think he does. You know, he says to Ophelia at one point he's like you've been so kind to me and they do become friends at the end and I do think that he has he has changed his view you know they don't become rich people and just become assholes they like go to an island and just live the fat I mean and wear a
0: Bill Cosby sweater and a Speedo <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god the coffee that has
0: always been a thing for me about this movie I'm like how do you you up here Bill Cosby sweater and a Speedo
1: no, but Coleman's an interesting <laughs> character. I would just say this: I think that you know, just to comment a little bit on maybe class in in mm-hmm. the UK, class is a, still a big thing, but it's an unspoken big thing. You know, it's it's something that um, people only talk about when they're drunk. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I think yeah. that he's part of that old school, you know, Downton Abbey kind of. You know, it's what, it's what the master says, so you just go along with it. I love Coleman. I think he's great. He's a really fun character, but, you know, homeboy's a dick to him.
0: And, so. and he, yeah, no, and he clearly has disdain for everyone except for Billy Ray Valentine. Like, uh, and, like, if he could kill Miss Penelope, I'm sure he'd be fine with that, too. Oh, my God, not, Penelope.
1: <laughs> Penelope. <laughs> I mean, perfectly cast. I mean, so, so I think maybe now is the time where you talk about creepy white people.
0: Oh, my God, creepy white people. <laughs> yeah yeah so like that's the thing about this like I I remember watching this and knowing like the white guys in this they're the bad guys and what they're doing is terrible but it never occurred to me just like ew, like the eerie whiteness of it all the whiteness of these white people it was like I felt so uncomfortable and scared like get out it was like get out it was two hours of, of that get out sensation so like when they have that big board meeting where they're all in there and they clearly set up Dan Aykroyd and it's just like a big room filled with white men surrounded by paintings of other white men and then they all stand up and they put the left hand on the left shoulder and use the right hand to get into the pocket. I'm like, please lead them into the hokey pokey because this is clearly like it felt like it was going to become some (coughs) kind of weird uh, ritualistic, bring out the hoods, the goat's blood and the staff. We, now we sacrifice the Virgin because we're actually part of the Illuminati. Like it had, like it just feels that kind of creepy whiteness, <laughs> that kind of creepy whiteness. And then also creepy whiteness, who's having a black tie dinner for two in their own fucking house? Who oh does that but creepy white people? Who goes to? Who goes down sticking in a cotillion ball dress for just a dinner for two? Like, why fuck? is she dressed like an infant? Like, she's dressed yes. like a 12 year old girl going to church. Yes, p- like, the puffy mutton sleeves and the like, what the fuck? fuckity fuck. It was, yeah, that every, and dressed, her like headband and shit. Yeah, it's very weird. All but of she that was perfectly
1: very, Like, she's oh, yeah. perfect. Her, yeah. her, the way she speaks, you know. Oh, um, the
0: way she speaks. My favorite, my favorite affected super rich white person voice is like another moment of creepy whiteness when. After he is released and he thinks that his friends are still his friends, and he goes back to the country club oh. where where the guys are all in their little squash outfits and the girls are sitting there being serenaded as they sing a barbershop quartet version of oh God, what is the what is the actual song? But either way, Constance Fry, Constance Fry. That that shit, you know. I don't know it.
1: Um, I will never know the um, name of that song. You can yeah. tell me that song, the name, and I will forget it in
0: a minute. I know what it is. I know what the actual words of it is, but they bastardized it to basically be them singing about the different ways and positions and places that they could have or would have fucked these women, and they're sitting there golf clapping at their ingenuity and their <laughs> brilliant like whiteness. It's so gross. But then after they do the little song. We just have this one little moment where one of them is talking and she goes, I'm she stepped on the ball. And, oh, yeah. almost, and, like, and I was glad it had subtitles because it was so extra white that I was like, what did she say? Oh, and then she <laughs> stepped on the ball.
1: But going what? back to that, does, does Dan Aykroyd change? And it's, it, there is two things. So when he gets out of jail, Penelope is all like, look at your clothes and you smell. And he's like, Penelope, I have been in jail you are talking about how I smell. I've been in jail. And then he actually says, if this is the correctional system, there's a problem, you know? And then when he does go and see his friends and he goes to talk to them and they reject him the way like he realizes that these things have been false and that they've been, that they're empty. And, you know, he does get that these people have abandoned him because they're soulless, (laughs) weird White people, <laughs> Ooh, weird, rich, white people, rich white people Todd. No, I, Todd and Muffy, I, Todd. Oh my God, I love the name Todd for this. Yes, you know, scenario. I, know what, I know what you meant. I know. What I you did mean. have a flirt on with a Todd once, and really, yeah, yeah.
0: Not I could never imagine you. calling that name out during sex. Everything <laughs> would feel wrong. So like like a like a like a portal would open up in a universe, and my soul would be sucked through.
1: Okay, so Todd. Then I, Ew, no, never. So then we can talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. If we're going to talk about Penelope, now we'll talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, I like her in this movie. I think she's really like
0: on point, and but the except big, for the thing fact that her, she's forty and she's supposed to be twenty-four. Like, I, when I, when, I, when I, I caught that, when she was like, "I'm twenty-four years old, and all I've got going for me is this body, this face, and..." What's going on up here? And I was like, and your social security that should be rolling in in a few years. No, like, she looks like fuck, you
1: know? <laughs> no. I would say thirty three. I'd say she uh, looks thirty three, not 40. I mean, her tits look yeah. seventeen. Oh my god,
0: I didn't. they're amazing. So that's like the thing. this. Yeah. Is,
1: I was trying to talk about something other than her body. For it's example. hard. In it's truth. we can't.
0: We can't. Like we're just gonna have to do that.
1: You see her breasts twice in the face, yes. and or and uh, uh, w- like without a shirt on you see him a couple other times when she's you know um
0: I'm in God and she puts her tits in the guy yes and then when she takes her jacket off and she's wearing that crazy ruched lycra oh that one's dress that, that, that that dress is insane it looks you know what it looks like it looks like one of those things that you would get out of a plastic egg from something you'd put 50 cents in and turn the thing and then you drop a <laughs> wall you put it in the sink and you drop some water and it would expand into a actual dress. Yeah, exactly, into an actual <laughs> dress. Like, it's the weirdest fucking dress I've ever seen. Um, but, but she... But her tits are wearing that dress. Her,
1: her body tips. is amazing. Oh, my
0: God. Her body's in...
1: Like, ooh. her legs don't give up. And those breasts, they're... Like, they're not... What, what, how did I explain? They're like smooth cantaloupes that bounce in the wind. Like they're
0: oh, they're like mannequin boobies. They are like legit, perfect boobies. And the thing is, is like when it first happened, I was like, well, that was gratuitous, but I don't mind because those are works of art. Right Absolutely there.
1: beautiful, Jamie. My God. Absolutely. My God. Oh, yeah. Like if I
0: ever had a need to get fake boobs, like if I, God forbid, ever had to get, a, you know, a breast augmentation or, or a replacement... I would be going to the doctor with a screenshot yep, from that would trading be my places reference. and be like, "Do this."
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Don't show me anything else.
0: Just do this.
1: Oh, gorgeous! So, in the first scene, she makes a deal with him. Like she, she screws him over because she ruins his his relationship with Penelope um, because she's paid by Clarence Beaks, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then she's got this like scene where she's following lewis around in hopes of getting a payday and then when she doesn't get it she brings him home and says you know here's a business arrangement you know you uh get on your feet again and then you pay me six figures
0: five five it's 83 five was still a big deal five and it's non-negotiable and it's not because yeah, he's only good for three figures that's that's also what's hilarious he's only got he's oh, i've got a hundred and. Fifty thousand dollars in this bank, and it's like, oh, chump change in twenty twenty, son. You'd be like, you better, you better start hustling. You better start doing some, I don't know, some like Instagram brand ambassador shit, son, because you ain't gonna get very far on that one fifty. But no, but like, Jamie Lee
1: Curtis is great. She but plays you know, great. But my with a my hard question goal. is this: is that she goes from like showing her tits to him and saying like, this costs money. And then literally the next scene she's crawling in naked with him like yeah her sudden (laughs) development of a
0: yeah her sudden development of affection for him comes really out of nowhere and doesn't really make a whole lot of sense except for we just want to see her boobs again
1: but i'll tell you even though that's true because she's such a good actress or she has such presence and because her chemistry with Dan Aykroyd is so strong, you kind of just, i this is the first time I've noticed that literally mm-hmm. nothing really happens yeah. that, yeah, that sparks between them. Yeah. But they've got really good chemistry together. So when they start kind of being lovers, you're just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, again, you forgive a lot in this film because. Yeah.
0: Because that was, because for me, it was the first time where I was like, wait a second, you just told them that it costs money, but now he's got the flu, he's up in your bed and you're gonna crawl in there with him and take a night off work? First of all, who gets in the bed with someone who's got the flu? Girl, what? No, ew, sick.
1: <laughs> oh my days. All right, so, I mean, talking about boobies, we might as well talk about the party.
0: Well, I mean, like, it's a di- they're disco biscuits, right? It's 1983, it's the still discos- kind of disco, <laughs> disc- yeah, they're still hanging on. Disco hasn't quite completely died. And, you know, get your titties out, ladies. Like, that's part of it. And also, too, I think they were just trying to um, dr- drive home the point of how much, how loose and sexually promiscuous and wild people of color can be in well, let's comparison. Well, let about the
1: party in general because you have, you, there, there's an issue. So the party happens after Randolph and Mortimer have traded places, right? So now, Billy Ray Valentine, which is played by Eddie Murphy, is now has the house. He's got the cars, he's got the money. So he goes to a bar to uh, flash the cash. So he's throwing money around and everyone's enjoying, you know, Billy Ray with, with lots of money and he's having a good time, but then he invites them all to his house. And mind you, this is literally the next day. So it's been one day from him being in Mm -hmm. jail to now he's, he's got money. Mm -hmm. And when he gets, home he has this huge party and he's absolutely fine with everything until he kind of gets uncomfortable because they
0: begin to trash his house a bit they start to trash his house and this is where i'm kind of like hold the phone a second because there is an immediate shift in billy ray like as though because now he has money because he has money that means he has class and because he has class now he is better than these people. He is now imbued with whiteness. And so these people, these animals that he's invited back from the bar to his home that are now, and I mean, they're being terrible, right? They really are. They're treating the place like a club, but I mean, that's effectively what he told them they could do. All of the sudden, Billy Ray Valentine, who the day before didn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't concerned about these things, suddenly this rug is from Persia. Who's putting their cools out on my Persian rug? And haven't you people ever heard of coasters? And then, you know, fuck them, dude. Don't, don't, oh no. And then he asks where, there were more people in this room. Where have they gone? I believe some of them have adjourned upstairs, sir. And he goes upstairs and there's this girl sitting there in his bed topless, been waiting for you, Billy Ray. And he just looks at her like she's garbage and tells her to put a top on and get the fuck out. Right. And now it's, you know, these people weren't my friends. They're just people who treated me. They're just basically animals that came in and treated my house like a zoo. And he's suddenly this like very stuffy uppity guy. And and he's got this like sad downtrodden look on his face. These aren't my friends. Like he feels like he doesn't fit in with them because now he's this better person that has money. Why don't you retire? So yes, I think I will retire. Good night, Coleman. And it's just very weird to me that all of a sudden he's so, not materialistic, but superior.
1: Not not playing the devil's advocate, but just to play, just to ask a question. Because I think maybe there's a parallel here because when Thorpe leaves his, when he goes back to his friends, he's no longer good enough for his friends and he gets the aha moment that his friends are shit. But on the flip side, Billy Ray brings all of his friends home and he realizes that they're, shit as well because they're ruining his house and treating it like it's a zoo it, it is superior i think you're right but is there also just kind of a parallel that they're trying to make that these people now that they've been in this situation where they're seeing the other side they're seeing like it's
0: holding up a mirror to them i think that was the
1: purpose i think what the result well, is i, kind I think are the just happening. showing that
0: that people follow where money goes like people are your friends if you have money right like that's yeah. the idea like yeah you have money and Billy Ray got all those friends because he had money but then suddenly the money made him superior enough to think that he they aren't good enough to be his friends
1: but he also realized that they're not his friends because mm-hmm. the only reason they're there is because he has money and that they didn't really care about him that's true I just really that. I
0: really did not appreciate the zoo reference <laughs> the zoo, the zoo, zoo reference. reference was the one that really put it over the top. For you me. Know I, and that was also like a really weird thing. Okay, it's a weird thing that happens for like five, like not even five seconds. And I was like, what, where did that line come from? Why did it? So at some point when the girls have their movies out and they're dancing on the floor, it cuts to a dude who looks like he's dressed like a pimp and he's like, that's my girl over there. <laughs> and then it just never comes up again. <laughs> they what do. was that? Oh, I love it, I love it. But there's a lot of really weird, weird moment. cool moments like that that I actually love that are quintessential John Landis moments that are fucking hilarious. Like when Penelope goes to get um, Lewis from jail and she's sitting next to one dude who's fucking playing with his feet and then this chick that's sleeping on her shoulder and then this giant guy just bare paws that little woman out of the way sits down next to her and is like is that your purse that's a nice purse. Like what the fuck was that <laughs> just oh so okay. random just random weird just I, random weird that was
1: hilarious. Just to take it back slightly I think one of um, the issues with this film today is language. So the zoo comment, absolutely. And then, of course, like what we said, the F-bomb is dropped a couple of times. Ooh, There's, yeah. You know, and, and then, of course, you know, the N-word is
0: dropped. The N-bomb the is N-word dropped. the N-word is dropped so specifically and intentionally that it makes sense why yes. and where they placed it. Yes.
1: But in general, I think the language, the, it, it teeters, you know what I mean? And I think that
0: that's one and of that's, the things. Again, that, and that's, again, and that's because oh, they me. were they were so self-aware Um, in, in this satire that they were putting forth that anything was up for grabs, that they, that they weren't ever going to be able to be possibly aware of how some of those words and phrases and terms would land today. Like there was like also too, when Billy Ray is coming out of the prison and he's watching them bring someone in or not the prison, the jail or whatever. station, And he's watching someone bring it and it's a white guy who is resisting the fuck out of this arrest, right? He's screaming and spinning and kicking and all kinds of shit. And Billy Ray Valentine looks at me and goes, may I suggest using your nightstick officer? That gave me fucking chills because it was another one of those things where it's like here, like we're bombarded with images constantly right now of police violence and all kinds of things. And then occasionally you will get a video of some white person completely fucking out of fucking pocket, being coddled and pet and explained why. What, this is why you're being put under arrest, Brenda. Please stop spitting at us. Meanwhile, you know that this bitch would have been tased in her eyeballs if she was even three shades darker, right? Um, So yes, things like that. But yeah, the F-bombs that were pretty liberally dropped in this movie, um, that's not cool. But again, it's self-aware. It's self-aware and it's ahead of its time so much that it wouldn't yeah. be aware of how, how behind the time it would be in the future. Um, and we know it's self-aware as you pointed out we were discussing this earlier when they keep coming back to that sign for the Heritage Club or when you go inside there's so many white dudes, it's like a fucking snowstorm inside. The Heritage Club founded in 19, in 1776 with, for liberty and justice for all members only. Right? Like yeah. They knew, they knew what they were doing, but again, they just pushed, they were pushing every envelope that they didn't, I don't think they realized which envelopes were going to be pushed so far over the table, you know, 20 some years later or more.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So should we talk about the comic genius moments of the film? Oh God, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So I think the sarcasm in this movie is just... On point every time. My favorite being when Ezra is given a $5 bonus. And he's line is that, oh, thank you. Maybe I can go to the movies by myself. Favorite fucking line. I love it. Probably of the whole movie.
0: That's my favorite line. My favorite moment is when Eddie Murphy breaks the fourth wall. (laughs) as randolph is patronizingly explaining to him what commodities are these are pork bellies what you would make bacon out of you know bacon that you might find on a blt a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich and he just looks at the camera like this motherfucker though they can just seriously say that to Uh, me yeah that's that's one of my favorite favorite moments that are hope it's absolutely hilarious and then of course the entire period of the film that dan Aykroyd is dirty ass santa
1: Okay, so that's the thing. I mean, we <laughs> go through like all of Eddie Murphy's lines and he's funny as hell and he's always funny as hell and that's Eddie Murphy. But right. like I said before, like Dan Aykroyd isn't my, when I close my eyes, who's the funniest comedians around? Dan Aykroyd isn't on the top of the list. Even though I like Dan Aykroyd, I always liked all of his movies in the 80s. But he's, you know, he's not on the top of the list. Um, not on the same caliber as, as you know, Mr. Mr. Murphy. But him as
0: dirty santa doesn't miss a beat
1: doesn't miss a beat oh my and again
0: God. how we don't ever talk about where the fuck he's gotten this dirty ass santa suit from <laughs> and the Wee herman elevator shoes is hel- like yeah like where was that was that also oh in the cabinet God. where jamie lee curtis moved in where did he come across the most filthy and it's almost like a german santa suit as well like it's like a bizarre shaped hat like everything about the outfit is not it's not quite American Santa, like, we know Santas, you know what I mean? It's really, it's really fucking out there. And then just the way he's filthy, he's drunk, he, he looks like he smells, even before he chooses to stuff an entire plate of salmon into the front of his jacket, right? And then just act a damn fool. And now, of course, I have to bring it back to that serious moment that I found Um, where I was talking about how, you know, Eddie Murphy's character, Billy Ray Valentine, becomes imbued with whiteness and changes in not a great way, in a way that I don't think they realized was going to be so offensive today. And that's as Dirty Santa, Dan Aykroyd, breaks into the office and is trying to plant all the bad drugs in the drawer, which was hilarious line too. He's got the marijuana cigarettes, quaalude, singular, you know what I mean? Like it's red ones, yellow ones, um, drug needles, all of these things, right? And Mortimer, Mortimer, Mortimer and Ralph are like, oh gosh, I can't believe he's come unglued like that and they don't want to call the police and they want to take pity on him. And Eddie Murphy suddenly is like, you can't go soft on people like that. Trust me, I know. Like suddenly he is a superior, he is imbued with superior whiteness where he looks down his nose at someone who was on hard times as he was only days prior. But he knows, he knows what you can and can't do with people like that. But then Dan Aykroyd runs through the party with a gun over his head, jumps on top of a table, makes a screaming, and then just hops off of it and saunters out and just wanders out into the world drunk as fuck. And when Eddie Murphy then later figures out by, you know, cause he cause he does actually steal the marijuana cigarette and go and smokes it in the bathroom. I always thought it was funny when like they come in and he pops it in his mouth backwards and he's like and he's like trying to like not choke on the smoke and the and the heat of the joint. Um and it's revealed at this point. They they reveal between each other this this bet that they have been you know engaging in for, for the sum of a dollar. Oh like God. whether or not, yeah, whether or not they could upend these two men's life and basically puppet them into the versions of them that they think that they would become. You know, when it, he takes off to find Winthrop, and he's at the end of the of the corridor, about to wander out into the street, and he just like looks over his, his shoulder, and he's like, <laughs> "That makes me laugh hysterically every time. Every time I've ever seen it, and this <laughs> time, that that noise he makes is hysterical to me."
1: So, I knew that he got the salmon for years, and then but when I, he's on the bus and he and he pulls it out and he starts eating so
0: it gross.
1: which is so gross and so hilarious at the same time. I swear to God though I watch this film every year, I thought it was French bread that he. Had done because he steals a lot of food, he doesn't only steal the salmon, he, he's filling his pocket. Oh, yeah, no, he's got a, pro, oh, no, initially so, pulls a
0: pro, piece of prime rib out instead of the gun, remember? Exactly. Like, like.
1: exactly. So, I thought for forever that it was bread um, and not the salmon. It's only this time that I realized, yes, he's pulling the salmon out. But the reason he's ripping at it like that is because he's caught it in the beard, which just makes yes.
0: it even grosser than that. And it's- I know, like getting hair in my mouth is one of the grossest things in the world to me. So the thought that he's trying to eat jacket salmon through a beard <laughs> of fake hair is just like, oh God, it's so, so okay. fucking nasty. But underweight. A dirty wait, Santa suit. In a dirty stank ass Santa suit. Like, ew, that thing looks like it had been like, like he literally pulled it out of the back of a dumpster. But okay, and then another kind of weird a like uncomfortable thing for me that seemed like a precursor to the future that they could have never anticipated. So when he goes to pawn his insane Rochefoucault European watch that tells time in Beverly Hills, Monte Carlo, Japan, and all kinds of god knows places. Stab. And Staub And mm-hmm. And is the thinnest sports watch in the 80s. Retails for $6,995. Like he's on the fucking prices, right? When he's trying to pawn this fucking watch to Bo Diddley and then goes, but how much is the gun? And Bo Diddley gets wild-eyed and looked at him like, oh fuck, I'm like, "Yep," Because fast forward to now and that's what you get. You get an aggrieved, rich, disenfranchised white man and what do they do? They buy a gun and take it to the fucking Christmas party.
1: Yeah, it's like if this movie was just serious, there would be certain points in this that would just be like, like, all you have to do is turn it to, mm-hmm. like, turn it to the right, haha, like like, click once, and then all of a sudden, this is a very frightening film, I'll give you that, yeah. I'll give be that 100%, and that was not It's like what you were saying about
0: planes, trains, and automobiles, like, <laughs> if all of a sudden her fucking body came rolling out of the trunk, you'd be like, and it all makes sense now. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and then, like, also, too, another scene that's funny, but also, like, just like like you said, like if you turn the dial a little, if you change the frequency just a little, it becomes scary. And that's when they initially bring him back to the house, and he's wearing that ridiculous suit, and they're trying to explain to him that like this is now your house, and this is not, these are now your things. And he's like, "Yeah, see, I'm just not buying this." And this is like this is the story of the black man in America. I'm not buying this. Like first you first you basically bust me, then you throw me in jail. Then you bail me out and now you're feeding me some garbage about how everything is fine and now you're going to tell me that's my personal slave too. I just don't trust any of this. I just don't trust Yeah, anything, yeah, right? Like all of that, like turn the dial just a little bit and it's a very kind of scary situation yeah. there.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, no, the way he's walking around, he's like, yeah, so, so this stereo is mine too, right? Oh, and this shit's mine too and this is mine and oh, this, yeah, I'm just throwing smiles on the fucking <laughs> when, floor, fuck this. Like,
1: yeah. It's when it's, he says... um. You know, I can dig this because this sort of thing happens happens to me
0: every week. week. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Like it's funny, but it's also eerie and scary because you're like, Yeah. fucking weird, Absolutely. man. I don't blame you for being super fucking scared right now.
1: Absolutely. But when he does have to fart in the tub for bubbles, that to always going to be funny. You know, there's moments in those days. Just Wasn't that a to callback
0: to, to the SNL joke from when he's buckwheat and he's in the tub and he's like, G.I. Joe is making bubbles in the tub and he's farting. And there's an, S- that's an oh, that's SNL fair. sketch. He's farting <laughs> in the tub to make bubbles. Yeah. And um, yeah. So. I love, yeah. it. I love mm-hmm. it.
1: Okay. So... Now let's get to the part where is the obvious problems. Billy Ray finds out that Randolph and Mortimer have fucked them over for a dollar, which may I say was, it's just the, it's just the extreme of that situation is what makes it funny because it's so absurd and just hurts you in your stomach. Like, and I think that's one of the things when you watch it, uh, when I watched it as a child, it was just like, how unfair and how unjust and even though I was laughing I did get the message that they were wrong and that what they were doing was not just wrong but unjust I think that that's
0: because and on on this watch it's wrong it's unjust and it's creepy, scary, gross, especially when they say that thing, when they're talking about how they're going to put it together. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, for Winthrop, he wouldn't have to just lose his job. He'd have to lose his woman, his house, all his money, all his friends. Well, we've done it before. And that's where I get that sensation where I was like, oh, these are the kinds of people that would go on like a human hunting safari. <laughs> like they're those, kind, those kinds of creepy, rich white people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
1: And also, and also that recognition that it's not just lack of money it's it's lack of of possibility and it's a lack of friends and it's you know i mean it's it's like it's not enough it's not that people who are poor and disenfranchised just don't have money it's that they don't have any of those things they have no privilege they have have no
0: privilege it's all yeah i mean and, and at the end when of course dan Aykroyd, um when lewis winthrop and and billy ray valentine managed to undo them randolph and mortimer and I'm sorry, for some reason, it's really funny to me too when um, when Randolph has the heart attack, and they're like, your, "Your your brother, your brother," and he's like, "Fuck him! Turn the machines back on, right?" And he just starts melting the fuck right. down. Like he, it was just an old man angry when I was a kid, but this is like, this is oh, a no. deep cellular deep psychological event that's happening to this man he is watching all of his privilege evaporate
1: turn them back
0: on we founded this this is ours we own this we own this this is us we've always had someone on the board duke and duke this is ours i'm like whoa it's 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 a child
1: throwing their toys out of the prem and breaking the fuck apart because all the institutions of their privilege have broken apart. I mean so that's yeah. why I that's why I am favoring the side of social commentary of this movie and in a positive light. I get I understand everything that you've said and I appreciate it and and I think you're you know absolutely right. But I think when I saw him break down especially this time because I did feel it throughout the film if like whoosh you know more relevant than ever. When he has this rant about, and that the the, the language he says, this is ours, you know? This is our, you know, and and the idea that they, you know, does it remind you of someone, you know? Recount. (laughs) (laughs) Turn 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 it back back on. on. Turn it back on.
0: Well, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, the reason, like, the reason this is so intense for me watching this right now watching a film using the racehorse theory as a premise for comedy, even though it's social commentary, is that we are sitting here right now, 2020, where just a month ago, that disgusting, rotting tangelo of a fucking human being, that disgusting, petrified orange turd, actually stood in front of a whole bunch of fucking people in Michigan and said, well, you know, you've got good genes. You don't think it's an accident, do you? He is actively quoting unabashedly the racehorse theory and it's a theory that his entire family subscribes to and it's nazi eugenics and it's being promoted on on news outlets and it's being held up by millions of people in this country and that's why it's just too close to the fucking bone for I guess so. able to laugh you know? I
1: guess not to be able to laugh, but at least you can appreciate that the film is saying,
0: Oh, that. the film's fucking brilliant, it's still brilliant it, it's it's written, it's acted it's it's edited, it's di- it's directed, it sh- everything is beautiful it's it's excellent. but today it's just it's too close to the bone for me. I felt I, I was more sick to my stomach. Um, from from how close to my bones it was hitting me than from the guttural laughs that I was getting from it. That's because I dad. just can't see past it now. I know that's it's sad. sad. It's super you know sad.
1: What, you know what makes me mad? That makes me mad that the world did that to you. Because this movie is funny as fuck. And it, if the world is going to ruin a movie like this, the world needs to change. Oh
0: well, that's goodness. the point. Is This, this movie yeah. would only be funny as fuck if it wasn't so true right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we can quickly talk about The moment where actually I thought was going to be the one thing
0: that was going to be the issue, which was the blackface moment. Oh, well, I mean, that was just such a gimme, you know, like like there were so many other little subtle weird things that I picked up on it on this watch because it's through this new lens of hypersensitivity that I have that I was like, oh God, there's just so so much going on in this film. But yeah, the blackface thing was like, well, that's just a fucking obvious one right in your face right there. (laughs) Yeah, And like so much so that like at the end when the the gorillas get taken back to Africa, I had this thought where I was like, I wonder if when Eddie Murphy watched this back, because he's ahead of his time, if when he watched this back, he was like, okay, I get what we did here, but I really need to make a point about this. So coming to America, as soon as that story came into his view, he was like, we're doing this. And we're bringing those crusty old fucks back into it to make a point about this movie specifically. Because I think, this movie was the, was the, was a cornucopia of pettiness where coming to America, as we said, was above anything petty other than yeah, that one I moment know. where they were like, here you go. Here's some cash, Randolph and Mortimer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that might've been a little petty jab at that movie of like, you know, you can make a movie about black people having money in America without it having to be about how they're animals and uh, wouldn't know what to do with it unless you imbued them with whiteness. Damn Sasha,
1: damn. I know, I'm
0: telling you, just like you with planes, trains, and automobiles, you wanted to sit down and have a laugh, fuck dude, so did I. I was not ready. I was not expecting this movie to be snatched from me like this. (laughs)
1: i know that's the real real sad part yeah because i think that ultimately i mean it has a good message it's just really hard because the message clearly since 1983 has still not been heard enough in fact it's just become a, a bit worse yeah i think that that's maybe that's maybe the the sad part of our Christmas, you know, all, all Christmas stories have a, have a, to have a little bit of sadness, Sasha. So this episode can have a little bit of sadness, but, but I think the hope is, is that someday we can all watch this film as an our, our archival time of the past that we all learned from because change is coming. It's just coming really slow and mm-hmm. we we've, we've are definitely we definitely have had four of the worst years of our lives, yeah. so I understand 37 that. 37
0: years later. 37. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this, dude. Seriously, I was expecting to have, like, a fucking real funny episode with you laughing my ass off about some real funny Eddie Murphy, <laughs> and, like, it's hard for me to summon it.
1: I think the chair, look, I think that the, there's a Christmas lesson in it about how the world needs to get better can't make it too sad. I'm just trying to think of one thing I that bring it back to it.
0: <laughs> I know I'm, I'm looking too. I'm, I'm like all the scenes I'm, I'm going through all the scenes in my mind and I'm trying <laughs> to find <fight laughs> the Christmas miracle in it. I really am. I That's mean, good. honestly the, the, the highlight, it goes out on a highlight where they're all out on the beach and, and having a good time and they're yeah. going to have cracked crab as well as lobster. And I just can't think of a, mar- a happier image than Eddie Murphy and a, bill cosby sweater and orange speedo
1: (laughs) i love that coleman has his own
0: butler um that is cool and he's nice to him and the butler's all happy to do his do his gig and stuff is 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 cool yeah i i yeah i wish i was more excited i wish i had had harder laughs i wish that this movie hadn't been robbed for me
1: I really yeah. do. I really I'm really do. angry about that okay well we're gonna yeah, and then,
0: and now I'm realizing as we were talking about this earlier I wasn't like you said I'm not angry at the film I'm angry but the content of it it hits so close to the bone that it stole the film from me and that's the whole point of why we do this podcast it's right Is like yeah. we have these golden memories of films in our mind of like the things that they gave us when we were younger and the laughs that we got and then we go back and we look at it and we go like wow
1: that's the thing if I say that this shaped me to recognize what's what's unjust but then you know 30 years later it's still fucking unjust in fact it's not Mm -hmm. unjust it's unjust but amplified exactly this time can we ask a different question can we ask a question of like would you watch it again next Christmas
0: I don't know if I can ever watch this movie again unless the world changed unless the world changed I don't think I could watch this movie again I'm really sad about it
1: How are you gonna be when we watch the toy?
0: (laughs) We'll see, man, we'll We'll see. see.
1: We'll see. All right, as for me, I will watch it again because A, it's hilarious and B, it still has a good lesson in it. That's the thing. Here we 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 go. It's it's still, it's still an important social commentary. I would sit down and watch it with
0: Blevin. I would still, I would sit down and watch it with your son, but I would, I would, I would also be explaining what was going on.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. And you know, maybe one day it will, like I said, be archived as something that shed a light on a situation that no longer exists because we live in a better world. Hopefully. Yeah.
0: And I mean, now that said, If on a transatlantic flight to visit you, I was given the option between Trading Places, anything with Liam Neeson, and You've Got Mail, I would totally watch Trading (laughs)
1: Places. Oh my God, I would watch Trading Places as well. (laughs)
0: let's get real. So thank you all so much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. If you liked what you heard, please head over to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to your podcast on and leave us a review and drop us some stars. We don't have a website yet, but you can follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast and send us a DM with any comments, questions, complaints, or requests for future reviews. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, Let's hope the world trades places. Merry Christmas. It's actually fucking Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah.